Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Learning to Live podcast. My name is Chaz Okada, and this week we are in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I traveled to Fort Wayne so I could visit Sweetwater Sound. Their headquarters are located here, and this week we will be interviewing Mr. Sean Dealey. He is an audio engineer and production manager for the Clyde Theater of Sweetwater Studios. This interview is taking place in the Sweetwater Performance Theater, which is a really, really nice theater. And I am fortunate that Sweetwater welcomed me and allowed me to do a couple interviews here at their headquarters. I wanted to interview Mr. Dealey because he has experience traveling on the road with different bands being their front of house manager, which means that he does the live mixing and he basically manages the sound during live performances of different bands. So I thought that Mr. Dealey would be a great resource where I could ask about what the lifestyle is like traveling on the road, touring with bands. As someone who has wanted to be a rock star when I was little, I always wanted to know what it was like and how many people go into the operation of putting on a live show. And we end up talking about a lot of these topics. And this, for me, was a very exciting interview because it gave me a look into a world that I've never got to talk to anybody about before. And with that said, I'd like to start this podcast episode with a little clip of an answer that Mr. Dealey gave me when we were talking about being a front of house engineer and what that's like. So here's that. One question that I always had is you you were a front of house engineer, correct? Yeah. So how do the live audio effects, or maybe not just audio, but how do the live effects work in terms of the song? Is there somebody pressing a button? Is that computerized? How does that happen? Well, um, yeah, it is all done by the front of house engineer. Uh, I know that there's some larger tours. I think Beyonce has a, like, a few people that work with her that run uh, auto-tune and different effects that match the records exactly, but it's all recreated live. So uh, when I would mix, I always have uh, an array of you know uh, effects at my fingertips of different reverbs and delays and, and pitch shifting stuff. And um, depending on the artist, if you get enough time to rehearse, you can program all of that stuff, uh, save it, and as you recall uh, a song, lots of the digital consoles have recall ability, so you can save that song and that mix with all the, the presets and the tempo and all of your, your effects returns being set the way you'd like them. Press the button and that comes back. Uh, you can also do it on the fly. There's tap tempo buttons on all the effects and making adjustments between songs. I When I mixed the Counting Crows, it was always on the fly because uh, they would have... Um, their set list would change every night, so there was really hard to kind of program anything. So it was adjustments as I would go, knowing that different things would be needed for different songs. And uh, yeah, but it's uh, that's that's kind of the the exciting part of mixing front of house is being able to kind of handle all that stuff and and uh, bounce around and, and keep tabs on it. So yeah. Hello, Mr. Dealey. Thank you for your time. Well, glad to be here. So what do you do here at Sweetwater? 
Um, I uh, split my time between uh, the Sweetwater Studios, working in the uh, theater in the studios as an audio engineer and producer, and uh, my time at the Clyde Theater, which is a, a concert venue in town. I work as a production manager and head of audio over there. So we have um, concerts and private events uh ranging from seated to general admission up to 2,300 people. So um, that uh, fills my schedule quite full most of the time. Um, but uh, that's, where, uh, that's where I spend my time over at Sweetwater here. Have you always been into music since you were a child? Uh, I have. Um, my dad worked in the industry to some extent and uh, started playing drums uh, around uh, the time I turned 10. Uh, played played in bands and... Um, through uh, high school, we had a music production program that really interested me and uh, sort of latched onto that uh, and spent most of uh, the past 15 years traveling with bands and running recording studios. So um, definitely uh, all-encompassing music uh, featured life. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of how I got, got into it and sort of continue to be involved with it uh, on a daily basis. What was your dream job when you were a child? I'm not sure when I was a child, but I feel that I sort of have the job of my dreams at the moment. So I do uh, what I love to and um, kind of keeps me motivated to uh, to be involved the way I am uh, in the music industry. But um, yeah, I wouldn't really trade it for anything, what I'm doing currently. So, What sorts, how were you involved in music when you were in high school? Did you teach yourself how to record stuff? How did that work? So there, there was a program we had... Um, that uh, there was a music lab that was sort of, um, I would say, a little ahead of its time. It was in the 2001 I, I took the program, and um, we had a, a lab of computers with MIDI and Cubase and software instruments, and then the uh, the teacher had a recording rig so we could set up and, and, and track things and um, sort of really got involved with that. I sort of latched on to that class more so than English and math and uh, spent a lot of my time in that lab uh, learning and experimenting. And that, um, I had already been playing music, but that sort of spawned a home studio, which sort of rolled into me owning commercial studios for a number of years and, uh, you know, a, a, a bit of a collection of equipment that... Uh, uh, amassed over the years, but, um, it was really, you know, something that, that connected the, my interest in technology and my interest in music and being able to, to do that, you know, through computer recording, MIDI, um, sequencing and, and sort of sound design at that point and, um, focused on more of the engineering side later on than, than the writing. But, um, yeah, it was definitely an interesting program that, that put me on the path of where I am today. After high school, how did you get your first recording gig or home studio? How did that work? So I had, uh, about the time I was 15 or 16, I started um, purchasing uh, like audio interfaces for my computer and sort of some microphones and was doing it in my basement. And so that, that sort of got my, my band's recordings uh, sorted out fairly quickly and um, started playing shows and doing a little bit of touring with my own band that that sort of led into um, some work I did with a company. Um, there's a uh, bands that travel around sometimes don't bring all of their equipment, so they'll rent c from a backline company. So I, I took an interest in working for a local backline company, which connected me with a lot of people that were in the touring music industry. So I was able to 
translate that into a job as soon as I finished high school with a touring band. I started working as a, a drum and guitar tech for different touring touring acts. So that was the first sort of uh, real paying gig I had in the industry. And I, I found that it was a good way to, um, let's see, how do I put this? A good way to make some income to support my studio habit and uh, uh, gear collection um, uh acquisitions so uh the work on the road really kind of uh afforded me the privilege to be able to have a a functioning studio and uh be able to do that stuff uh that was you know maybe a little more on the hobby side of things and the profession side was the touring side of it and tried to kind of merge the two later on but it definitely um spent a lot of time touring and doing that side of stuff before uh a lot of the paying audio engineering gigs came up so what's the life of a touring technician like uh it's um it's a it's a busy life i mean i uh i gave up gave up traveling um last october to take a position at sweetwater um family and uh sleeping in my own bed became a lot more important than uh traveling uh for anywhere from six to eight months of the year um but it uh, really um is an all-encompassing thing when you when you're on the road it's uh, when you leave your house you're moving city to city hotel airport buses um a lot of it is travel and then once you're you know once you're in a venue your work day is quite long um you know, we were loading in at 8 a.m. The trucks were getting closed at 2 in the morning. So that was a, a full day um, of, uh, you know, a lot of people working together in different spaces every day. So it was a lot of, you know, high-stress situations, a lot of travel, a lot of time away from home. Um, yeah, and those were the good things. But, uh, no, it was... Uh, it was an interesting, interesting world to be part of. I really enjoyed it. Met a lot of really great people, and um, it, it, it just, um, it takes a lot to sort of have a, a family and be away from them that much. So, um, kind of made a conscious decision to to change the direction of of what I was doing. But um, yeah, there there was a lot of really great experiences I had. I've seen a lot of really really interesting places. I, I probably before I was twenty one, I made it to. 45 countries so um yeah there was a lot of a lot of bouncing around a lot of things to see but at the same time there was always those questions oh it must be so great to go to all these places and when you're working you don't really get to enjoy them as you would if you were a tourist so there's the opportunity to get around a lot but at the same time it's getting to a theater getting to a, a venue where it's you know looks like the one in the other country that you were just in so there's a, a, a disconnect of of the travel portion that becomes travel is work and then travel is not as fun as you'd want it to be so i've had a hard time transitioning into traveling with my family now and not not being in work mode so um but uh yeah it's definitely an interesting way to see the world and um there's a, a lot of amazing people I've met over the years of traveling. So, How many years did you travel? Close to 15 years I was on the road. So um, I, I left high school, uh, and a month later I was on the road. Um, so that was uh, 2003 was pretty much where I, I, I did my first uh, European tour. Um, and uh, from there I just sort of... Uh, continued on as uh, the the industry is based heavily on word of mouth and uh, had a good reputation and was able to continue um, 
advancing my career through connections and uh, ended up in a couple camps that were very stable. I, I worked with the Counting Crows for the past 10 years. That was the last 10 years of my touring career. And um, it was nice to have some stability in, in, you know, not bouncing between artists all the time. It was definitely um, something that made it a little bit easier rather than having to find work all the time. I knew they were working every year, so it was always some consistent stuff that came up, but, uh, yeah, there's, uh, it's definitely a, a different, um, different way that, that they function. There's no, uh, HR department on the road. So, um, hiring, firing, things like that, dealing with situations has become a lot more personal, a lot more, um, you're emotionally invested in a lot, a lot of your work and your relationships because you live with these people. So it's, it's a little bit heavier to deal with and you know, you don't get to go home from work at the end of the night, you get on a tour bus and you're still with the same 11 guys that you were with all day. So that disconnect is hard. So there's, you know, that, that being said, it's, um, it's been an interesting transition into a company like Sweetwater that is definitely a, a you know, the corporate side of, of employment that, um, I, I had not been experienced in before. So <laughs> what artists did you work with? Um, uh, I started, uh, my touring career with a band called Billy Talent from, uh, Canada. Uh, they're like a hard rock band that does extremely well in Canada and Europe and doesn't have much of a following in the United States, but, uh, they do arenas and headline festivals in Europe. Um, spent a few months with them and then I got a job with Avril Lavigne sort of in the middle of her career. Um, and that's what took me to a lot of the countries I went to. So we did, Lots of Southeast Asia, lots of Europe, South Africa, or in Japan for six weeks, which was an amazing experience. I wish I would have been interested in sushi back then, but uh, um, spent a lot of time traveling with her. So that really kind of broke a lot of ground for me, uh, traveling and experiencing a lot of things. We did a lot of different TV shows, um, lots of festivals and then lots of different venues all over the place but followed that up with working with the Goo Goo Dolls uh, for a number of years a 90s rock band uh, in between that I worked with the uh, band called Bright Eyes All American Rejects I did a little bit of work with Santana um, and then uh, Counting Crows and the Goo Goo Dolls were the first tour that the Goo Goo Dolls did when I was with them so I connected with them early on that was 2006 and um, uh transitioned into their camp full-time I think in early 2008 and uh spent a long time with those guys and uh ended up connecting the dots on my interest in recording and audio engineering with them um I ended up co-producing a couple of their records and did all the studio work and then transitioned into their front of house engineer so I originally got hired as their drum and keyboard technician I uh, was doing live recording archiving for them and then um they sort of gave me the opportunity and saw the potential in my skill set to give me the opportunity to do, do live sound and, and work with him in the studio. So that really kind of, uh, gave me the break I was looking for in having some more fulfilling work while being on the road. That was a, a thing that I struggled with was, you know, the mundane tasks of setting up stuff every day kind of wear thin fairly quickly so um having a bit of a creative outlet and being able to, to do some engineering was really um really kind of kept me involved and interested and, and you know really kind of uh motivated me to 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 want to do great work while, while being on the road and keeping keeping busy so how 
important were those gigs into building relationships inside the music industry? And how do relationships in the music industry work? Um, a, a lot of stuff uh, that I've experienced, a lot of the relationships that I've, I've come across are very much uh, personality-based. Um, if you get along well with someone and they work in a similar fashion to you, if you're you know, a hard worker and you're easy to deal with, people like-minded people usually kind of, you know, get together and, and try and stick together in that sense. So, um, most people would uh, have an assumed skill set if they were doing a job. So it's not, uh, like you would have to test in to get a placement, you know, like if you were getting a recommendation, you would have, I would be recommended as an audio engineer because I have that skill set. I do a good job doing that. And then it's more of a, a personality test. Do you fit in with the other people you're working with? So, the relationships you build with the people that you work with then translate into the next job you can get. If that that relationship was sort of maintained and curated with someone, then they're more willing to go out on the line and, and put your name in for a, a position. So that I found that to be very, very true in a lot of cases where um, people that we would get recommendations for for some employment uh, who we maybe didn't get along with that great. We would get people that didn't get along with us very well. It didn't really work in, in our world. So the more uh, personal connection you, you would have with someone where you could actually uh, justify employing someone that you could work with and and work in a similar fashion was a really important piece of the puzzle in that world, which I think sort of is a very different approach than most um most businesses or most industries, it's, you know, uh, it, it's not quite as, um, tied in with, with the, the, uh, the friendship or the, you know, the interaction with other people. And it doesn't weigh as heavily on that. For somebody that's young and looking to get into audio engineering or recording, what would you suggest they do in high school, post high school, in college, if they go to college? Yeah, I think there's a well. There's a lot of opportunity now because there's so many performance venues um, uh, that are accessible. There's a lot of um, a lot of venues in most towns. Lots of churches have uh, serious audio systems now, that which was not the case, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to to mentor with people, and I, I feel um, the majority of the the music industry. The mentorship, I think, is a, is a really important piece of the puzzle that keeps the information going between the experience that people have had to younger people. So I, I like to speak when I can to, uh, to schools, to classes, to recording schools, stuff like that, whenever I can get in front of some people to share some of my real-world real experience. I feel that it uh, gives people a bit of a... Uh, an understanding of how I've dealt with problems, how I've uh, approached the industry and how I've learned and, you know, uh, tips and, and tricks and, and skills you can sort of convey to people that are hard to pick up from a class or from a book. I mean, the internet's got so much information now, which is a dangerous thing on any level. Um, it's always nice to have someone show you something and, and learn a skill from someone and be able to translate that into doing it. And, I really feel that if you can if you can find someone that'll give you some mentorship or someone that'll just take you under their wing um, to some extent just to give you the show you the ropes enough to get yourself some experience to do it, 
there's a lot of it that comes with just doing it over and over again and, and experience different different places. A lot of the stuff that you can't teach is when you're traveling, every room you walk into sounds completely different. So the live live audio engineering compared to studio engineering is, you know, you walk into the studio every day, you know what it sounds like. You walk into a building and you're like, wow, they put speakers in here today. Like it's, it's, a, it's a very, very uh, different uh, set of skills you have to sort of use in different situations. And, and a lot of it comes from experience and it's not a cut and dry um, sort of teachable things. Yeah. So could you give us some of the topics that you talk about and some of the tips when you talk to these schools or people? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I like to sort of get a little feedback from what, where people are at or what their frustrations are, but definitely, uh, I like to use my ears a lot and not look at audio. There's a lot of programs that are like, uh, analyzing, uh, software where you can see what it sounds like. And, and to me, there's a lot that goes into having an idea of what you'd like it to sound like and, and trying to get there by listening and, and approaching it that way. Um, there's a mix of, of people that really take a scientific sort of measurement based approach to audio and some people that sort of are a little more old school and free form. And, and I like to kind of find a mix of, of the two. So sort of getting people to rely a little less on technology and a little more on, on your onto intuition so that you can, you know, hopefully put a bit of your, um, your talent or flair into whatever you're doing. I mean, it, it it's, uh, it's something that, you know, if you learn everything you possibly can about audio, that doesn't mean that you can mix a band, you know, it's uh, putting all of the pieces together. So getting that opportunity to introduce your, your skill set with the technology or the, the stuff you've been taught is, is sort of a, a really important thing to, to bridge that gap. So to you, what's the difference between an amateur recording and a professional recording something? Um, well, I, I feel that, uh, it can go either way. I think a professional can make an amateur sounding recording and an amateur can make a professional sounding recording. Um, I think it goes back to, um, a professional would be on a more consistent basis, not doing things wrong. And an amateur might do some things that wrong that are wrong that may sound great. So they might be using their ears more than their, their skill set. So it's a tough thing to kind of justify, especially these days with, uh, the, the ease of access to technology and being able to do what you can on your laptop. The differentiation from professional studios to amateur studios has changed so much because there's so much that has come out of people's basements, people's hotel rooms that are hit songs that things that happen in professional studios don't see the light of the day. So it's really a, a weird time for audio engineering. How did you learn the skill set required, like all the professional ways to mix or master um so uh, like i i mentioned uh mentoring i i was lucky enough on some of the tours i did to have some really great uh audio engineers that were working with the bands i was on tour with uh, a friend of mine jim yakabuski and uh paul hager were two guys that i really gravitated towards hanging out with and you know looking over their shoulders and stuff they they both have huge credits with numbers of, of different styles of bands and lots of experience in venues. And Paul has a lot of studio experience too. And those guys really kind of brought me up to speed. I, I had a general understanding of what I needed to do. And then it was approaches and, and things that they were doing. I'd be like, 
what are you doing? They took the time to explain it to me, and then that became a skill that now I possessed. So then I would put it into practice. So definitely, majority of my skills were learned through mentorship and and you know asking questions when I had the opportunity to. So so now you're at Sweetwater. What do you do here at Sweetwater? So um, since I, I was hired at Sweetwater, um, brought on primarily as an audio engineer, and uh, I still do a lot of that, uh, but. Uh, when I was brought on, Sweetwater was in the process of working on this uh, project, the Clyde Theater in Fort Wayne here, and um, that turned into being a little bit more uh, of a, uh, my, my project uh, for the last year, uh, taking it through construction to opening and then running uh, the first year of uh, shows in there. I think we've had over 60 concerts in the in the building in the first year, which has been uh, pretty impressive, um, but that... Uh, uh, was a really good fit for me. I took a lot of the knowledge and experiences I had in all the different venues that I'd been through and tried to apply all of those things to what we have in Fort Wayne so that when people walk in the door, they're surprised by what they find in Fort Wayne and uh, we're able to sort of accommodate any of their needs and uh, give them a, a, a pleasurable day at work. So that that really took a lot of my time um, I've been trying to get back in the studio here a little bit, um, which, uh, time allowing will happen hopefully next week. Um, but, uh, other than that, we're, uh, opening a smaller venue attached to the Clyde that's going to have a, a hundred person venue in the back of that. So also be tackling the production aspects of that, um, more operational stuff at the theater than I thought I'd be dealing with. I learned a lot about HVAC in the past year and uh, dealing with uh, some uh, mechanical issues, which uh, wasn't really on my plate before, but uh, it's been a, a learning, fun learning experience to deal with that. And it's been a really great, um, really great year over there. I was able to hire a staff that, that uh, my stagehands and, and uh, audio and lighting technicians have been a bunch of great people I've been able to meet in Fort Wayne and, that uh, has really been uh, an interesting way to kind of jump into a new town. We moved here in uh, November 2017, so we were uh, we were new to the town, and um, it's been a great way to get involved and have a lot of uh, interaction with people in in Fort Wayne. So, so how often did you interact with the artists, and how important was that to you doing your job properly? Um, it, it, I, I think it's a really important piece of the puzzle, um, gaining the trust of the artists you work for, especially as an audio engineer, um, and providing what I hope that they think they should sound like and what they think they should sound like uh, is a big task um, to some extent. So I had a really good working relationship with the County Crows. Um, they entrusted me with that, and, and I took care of the trust they've given me to put together a great sounding show. Um, I worked closely with all the members of the band to make sure that they had what they needed, they sounded the way they wanted to, that all of the, the pieces were working together. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that work in the industry that take a way more passive approach to it, where they don't uh, interject themselves much. They're sort of a little bit... Uh, would you know allow their position to be dictated to them a little bit more, but I feel like the collaboration of working with someone that has your trust, um, 
makes everyone's life a lot easier. So uh, maintaining a good good working relationship where you can go talk to the people you work with, like especially an artist that might have a specific vision that you got to sort of capture and, and put forth is, uh, is really important. Um, uh, sometimes artists are not always the easiest people to deal with or figuring out the way they say things and, and how you translate that into real world um, speak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's a tricky tricky thing to um, to balance that sometimes, but I think it's of utmost importance to have the trust of the people you work with and and to to make sure that you're serving serving their trust in you justice. So, if you had to give advice for somebody that was interested in touring or helping out bands, what would you tell them? Um, don't get taken advantage of. I feel there's a lot of uh, the industry that, uh, really, um, tries to cut corners, uh, doesn't pay appropriately, doesn't, um, doesn't give, uh, doesn't take care of what you do as, as, as a business would. Um, the artists you work for are businesses. They do make money. They have expenses. They need to pay for people. People's time is, is valuable. You know, if you're traveling, make sure they're paying for your travel. There's a lot of stuff I hear where people only get paid on, on days where they work and they, you know, they don't get paid when they leave their house. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to, to sort of put your foot down on, but, um, in order to maintain the integrity of the industry without getting flooded with young people that are looking for an opportunity, the the industry sort of needs to withhold or hold up their end of the deal with you know paying people appropriately because it's it's a big commitment to to leave your home and travel with someone and and make sure that you're taken care of and um i see that a lot where uh people um don't recognize the commitment people make and, and the sacrifices they have to make to to do that so is that a deal that you'd strike with the label or do you work for the label how does that work it it's um it, it it varies in a few situations, but most of the time you d- deal directly with the band's business agent and uh, the band's tour manager. Uh, usually the deal is cut there. Uh, very rarely rarely have I seen uh, a paper contract of any kind. It's a, a verbal agreement on the amount and, and things like that. And um, usually pretty good with holding or holding up to that the end of their their bargain. But um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's a lot of trust put in people to to make sure that that stuff gets worked out properly. If you could see any change in that part of the industry, what would you say? Um, uh, Well, I I do see change in that. um, They're they're moving. the, The music industry makes most of its money off of touring now, where it used to come from record sales. So there's a lot more focus on, um, running things efficiently and being budget conscious on that sort of, uh, that end of the, uh, industry. So that, that's sort of new where, uh, you, there's large corporations that are now running these tours and, and running it more like a corporation. And so there is, there is some creep of the, the bigger corporation style, uh, business running, um, ideas in play in the the touring world now so um i see that that that's a transition from what what it has been for years and uh it's kind of interesting to see how that works out some people really like the structure of it some people are really freaked out by the 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 way that it's changing to a not so pirate lifestyle (laughs) um so yeah it's uh it's it's interesting to see that the changes but i mean 
bands, uh, labels, uh, management companies have to look at it as a as you know, their revenue source. So they all have to make their money off of, of touring now. So uh, it definitely becomes um, a concern to most people involved that you know they're pinching as many pennies as they can to make it work. So if a band nowadays more bands because they can produce themselves and just out of their basement or garage they can put out an, a song and it goes viral. How practical is it for them to go on their own and set up their own tours? I mean, that, that's a tricky thing is you get, uh, there's the uh, SoundCloud rappers and the Spotify hit singles and stuff uh, where there's not a lot of infrastructure behind that. When you look at bands that have been around for a while, they have large crews, they have equipment, they have experience. And so people try and get out on, on tour um, to play for people because now they're, they have some traction with their, with their music. It's a tough thing to jump right into, um, and do properly, um, and understand, uh, what's needed because there's a lot of things that people don't, they assume is not, uh, an important piece of the puzzle and end up needing to, to fill the, the holes fairly quickly. So, uh, the inexperience in that comes, comes through fairly, uh, glaringly, um, on, uh, on some of the, younger and newer artists but um it uh it usually takes someone with some experience joining forces with them to sort of show them the way and and, and enlighten them into uh having having the team and skill sets they need to to be successful touring because once once you're once you have a hit then you need to sort of back that up and, and make sure that you're putting on a good show and, and people are coming and enjoying themselves so um that that transition you see that quite a bit on bands on the rise and they um hire their friends and then fire their friends and then uh hopefully end up with some professionals and, and are able to make money and be successful but it's um it's a fairly cutthroat uh world to deal with so maybe a couple decades ago the music industry used to be dominated by bands, but now it's turning towards, like you said, more individual artists. There's, you don't see as many rock bands anymore. How has that, has that affected you at all in a production standpoint? Um, it's, it's interesting. I have some friends that work with some large EDM artists and the amount of stuff that they travel with way outweighs what a rock band would travel with as far as production video lighting set pieces um it, it's interesting it could be one guy that's a dj and they could have 10 trucks of set pieces and you know we could have a seven piece band and we have one truck fulfilled with you know so drum riser and some you know band gear and uh it uh it really kind of it changes changes the the focus a bit also when you have um someone like a dj who makes a lot of money themselves they don't have to split it up six four you know there's no no split with the other guys in the band so they can look at it at where they're going to spend more money on production to put on a better show and um you know th their bottom line is a little more definite than having to share with a bunch of people so uh i see that a lot of the stuff that isn't a rock band has a lot more uh, aspects of you know the the video and pyro and lights we've we've had some electronic music at um the Clyde that their production far outweighs what the rock bands bring in so um it's, it's interesting to see the um the way that they compensate for you know having a bunch of people on stage they put a bunch of stuff that entertains people so it works well and i think that 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 um 
that that keeps people coming back to the shows, which is important. So, is there anything else that you'd like to tell a young person about your job, what you did? No, I mean, I, I think it's a great way to see the world. I, I think it's super super fun uh, being involved in music in any capacity. Um, uh, it, I think that if you get the opportunity to get involved with any sort of venue, recording studio, working as a stagehand, any of that stuff is a really cool way to kind of get involved. Um, and it's just a it's a it's a great way to to go to work and and be able to you know the, the cool thing about going to work I get to see a show when I go to work I get to see you know a performance when I'm in the studio so it's a it's a really cool workspace to be involved with so any way you can get your foot in the door I would say go for it but I guess that's it so okay thank you so much for your time well, thank it's been you a pleasure for talking me. to you no appreciate it bye bye that concludes the interview with Mr Sean Dealey and I thought that this interview was particularly interesting because of how he portrayed life as a touring technician and he didn't sugarcoat it oftentimes you can watch a YouTube video or just see online on the internet or anywhere really about how life could be so great when you're traveling around or maybe if you're in a band and you get to go to all these different countries but it is hard perhaps you want to have a family but but you can't do that because you're always on the road. There's, It just goes to show that there's these benefits and there's the drawbacks. And it's just like any other career choice. And it's up to the individual to decide whether or not they'd want to give up some things just so they could pursue music if, if that's their passion. And I think that that really that really puts this sort of career into a new context in my mind. Another interesting point from the interview was his emphasis on mentorship and the importance of having somebody there that can teach you. I think that that goes in any type of skill, any industry. It's important to have a strong mentor or somebody that can lead you through and guide you when you're learning something. Of course, you can learn things on your own, but it never really hurts to have somebody that's there supporting you or providing you guidance as long as it's done in a sincere way. A recurring topic of this podcast is mentorship, and potentially I might make an episode about how to find somebody that can guide you or how to get into something that you're interested in when you don't know anything about it or you have no exposure or contacts in that industry. That's something that I've actually been getting a lot of practice with lately. And with that, I'd like to conclude this episode by saying thank you for listening. And if you know anybody that might benefit from listening to this episode, please feel free to share it with them. They might get a more insightful look into what it's like to be a touring technician or what it's like to work in the music industry. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I want to be a musician but or, oh, I want to work in the music industry, but they don't know exactly what that means. And perhaps this interview might help. And I have a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page and a website. Those will all be linked in the description below. And the website is chazokada.com. That is C-H-A-Z-O-K-A-D-A.com. And feel free to reach out to me. Let me know if you have any particular interests or industry or you want me to reach out to somebody, ask them on the podcast. I'd be happy to do that. Or if you have any topics in mind that you want me to cover, I'd be more than happy to talk about those. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and take care.